Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of Romans, to Romans chapter 12 for our time together this morning. If you are new to church or new to the scriptures, maybe you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be here on the screen in just a moment and in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll stand together as we read God's word. Uh, but we are so thankful to have all of you here this morning uh, to be a part of what God is doing here at Crosslink. We have many faithful members here who have been members for a while and, of course, are partnered with us in what God is doing here in and through Crosslink. And, of course, members, we welcome you. We also have many regular attenders, people who've been coming here on a regular basis and praying about this being your church home. And, of course, uh, we welcome you. And to all of our guests, thank you for being here. Um, I pray that God would just move and speak in our hearts and our lives in a very uh, great way. Uh, we have, over the last several weeks, been in a sermon series entitled, Called to Commit. And we're looking at the importance of commitment, first and foremost, to the Lord Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And then through that, also commitment in the context of a local church. If you are a part here at Crosslink and uh, you not yet, though, have become a member, we want to encourage you to really get connected to what God is doing here. Uh, there are several next steps that we would encourage you in. If you have never been to a Discovering Crosslink event or a Lunch with the Pastors, as it used to be called, we would encourage you in the next several months to participate in one. Some of you have already signed up and you'll be here for one tonight. That registration is already closed. But Discovering Crosslink is a first-time opportunity to have a meal with all the pastors, to get to know them, and to learn really about the core values and mission and ministry of Crosslink. And so it's kind of a, a, a first next step for those who've maybe been attending for a while. And so we would encourage you, if you've never done that, sign up for the next one, which is happening in April. But also there are many who have attended Crosslink maybe for a long time. It could have been a few months, maybe even a few years or almost a few decades. I'm not sure. Uh, but we want to encourage you, if you're not yet a member of the local church, to sign up to be a part of a deciding Crosslink event. They happen on Sunday mornings during the services on the first Sunday of every month. And at that time takes you through the beliefs of Crosslink, our structure, and how we're accomplishing the mission and the vision uh, that God has called us to here in this valley and beyond. And so we want to encourage you to sign up and be involved. Our Deciding Crosslink class is next offered the second Sunday in March, the first Sunday in April, the first Sunday in May, and the first Sunday in June. You'll hear more about all that, but plan to be involved in what God is doing. I'm thankful that you're here today. This morning, as we do open God's word, we continue on in this emphasis of being called to commit. And we've been looking at the importance of understanding the difference in the larger C, the big C church, and the smaller C, the local church. Both are vitally important, but it's also important that we have a biblical and healthy understanding of them. In the New Testament, when you read the word church, uh, we see the word church 114 times in the New Testament. Of the 114 times, 90 times, the word is used in reference to a little c, local church, and almost 20, about at 24 of those times, it's used in reference to a larger c, a big c church. Well, what's the difference? That can be very confusing, right? Like, how can the word church have two different meanings? The larger church is made up of every single person who has believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter the years in which you lived. It doesn't matter the country that you're from. It doesn't matter a denominational label or not. 
every single person who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at the moment of salvation is brought into the larger sea, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what that says to us this morning is this simple reality. Not everybody is a part of the church. Those who've not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, those who have not called upon Christ for salvation, they're not a part. But everyone who has, at the moment of salvation, you're brought into the larger C church. What a wonderful truth to know you're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while that's a beautiful thing, while that's a wonderful thing, the simple reality is the larger church, as wonderful as it is, will not be seen in its entirety until we are all together after the Lord has raptured the church to heaven to be with him. In fact, the reality is, is that while we are a part of the larger church, in many ways, the larger church is invisible to us. We don't know every Christian on the face of this earth at this moment. And we're not God. We can't be in every place at all times knowing exactly who our, our believers are not. And so it's not until one day that we are in heaven with the Lord that we will begin to understand the beauty and the fullness of the larger church. But it begs a question of us. Well, if God has called us to act a certain way, if God has called us to love a certain way, if God has called us to serve a certain way in the context of the church, then how can we do that if we can't see it? For example, how can I fulfill God's instructions concerning the church if I can't fully see it in its entirety? How can I serve? How can I give? How can I support? How can I encourage? How can I stir up? How can I teach? How can I admonish and how can I build up the church if I can't visibly identify it? Well, the good news is there is a larger C church for all believers in Christ, but there also, according to scripture, is a lo uh, the little C, the local church. The local church is that body of believers who live within a certain community or context that is partnered together for the purpose of fellowship, discipleship, and mission. The local church is this body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We've accepted Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and we partner together in our local context for the purpose of fellowship, discipleship, and missions. It is through this local church, like Crosslink Community Church and many others in this community, it is through this local church that we publicly profess faith in Christ through baptism. By the way, you should be here next week. It's going to be an incredible time of celebrating the baptism of many. It's through that local church that we corporately uh, participate in the Lord's Supper. It's through that local church that we exercise our spiritual gifts. It's through this local church that we practice biblical accountability. It's through this local church that we partner together to impact the valley and bless the nations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact is that God places great importance on the local church. And as a result, I believe throughout this series, God is calling us to do the same. It's through this local church that God has a word from the church in Rome to say to us today in Romans chapter 12. This morning, as we open God's word and as we study it and examine it, I want to ask you to consider one specific question, one specific question, and that is this. The question for us to consider in our time together this morning is simply this. For each of us, in what ways are you edifying the church? In what ways are you, through your efforts, through your energies, in, in your service, in your gifts, in what ways are you edifying the church? 
The word edified literally means to build up. And what it's suggesting to us this morning in Scripture is that every single one of us, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we have a calling from God to use our gifts, to use our experiences, to use our energy and our effort for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So in your life, in what ways are you building up the body? In what ways is the ministry of the church stronger and healthier because of your faithful involvement and investment. Romans chapter 12, I want to ask you if you're able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? As I believe God has much to say to us concerning the church and its ministries, the church and its ministries. Listen to what the Bible says, beginning in verse one, Paul says these words, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the what? The mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy Sacrifice. Can you say the word sacrifice? Sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and yet individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives, do so with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Lord, as we read these words, as it's been translated into English for us, there are some of the words that can get wordy and can get challenging and and difficult for us to comprehend. God, I pray today that through the Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and lives. God, that in doing so, you would encourage us that you would challenge us, that you would even convict us in whatever ways that it's needed. And God, I pray that through this time together that you would really cause us to examine ourselves and where we stand with you, that we might be the vessels that you've called us to be. And may it all be for your name's sake and your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The church and its ministries. Throughout the course of our series, we've been reminded this morning about the importance of commitment. And we've seen the example of how Christ was committed to the church. The Bible says of Jesus that he loved the church and he gave himself up for her. He was committed to the church. We've seen the commitment of the ministers and how they are to shepherd the flock of God among them as they are to, to graciously and gently to serve and to care and minister to the body of Christ. We've seen the commitment of the members and how they are to partner together for the work of the Lord. We've seen the commitment specifically to the mission of the church to take the gospel even to the ends of the world. 
Well, today I want us to think for just a moment, specifically about the ministries in the church and about how we serve the Lord in the body of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and, and maybe that doesn't make sense to you and that sounds kind of foreign to you. I want you to know this morning, the wonderful truth of scripture is that every single one of us can be a part of the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. If you've never repented of your sins and believed in Christ, you can today and at the very end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to know without a doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is your savior and that you are a part of his family. But for those of you here today who already know that, You've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been adopted into the family of God. I believe much of what God has to say in Romans chapter 12 is directly to us this morning. And in that, I want to encourage us and challenge us to really take to heart and heed what God is saying. In the context of the local church uh, and, and pastoring now for 17 years, which is kind of crazy, there have been many times that I've had people come to me and say, as they look at some ministry within the church and they say, Pastor, I don't believe we should have such and such a ministry. I don't believe we should have a, a children's ministry. I don't believe we should have a student ministry. Show me in the Bible where we have that. There are times that people will say that based upon their preferences or based upon maybe even their understandings of Scripture. Pastor, I don't think we should have this specific ministry. And there have also been times that people have come to me and said, Pastor, I believe we should have this specific ministry. I think this is a great vehicle. This is a great tool. And, and every great church has this specific ministry. But here's the wonderful truth. The wonderful truth is that nowhere in the New Testament are we defined or even prescribed specific ministries in the local church. Nowhere in the New Testament does God say, okay, now to be a healthy church, you got to have A, B, C, and D, E in ministries. And if you do these five, you're going to be exactly the church I want you to be. No, the reality is that God in his omniscience knew that methods of ministry and types of ministries would change according to the era and the needs of each specific local church. In other words, our ministries here today may be very different than a church, say, in San Francisco or a church, say, in New York City. We may have different ministries, but here's the wonderful truth. If we are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what will be the same? It will be our conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ and our message that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Our message never changes. So we may have one ministry today that we may not have this time next year, but the reality is this morning is that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship overall still will not change. So what we do have in scripture is this. While the Bible never says a local church has to have A, B, C, D, and E as certain ministry types, what we do see is that God gives both freedom and great responsibility to the church and the way that they select ministries that will ultimately help them to accomplish God's purpose of the mission that he has called us to do. In other words, what we do find is that the New Testament gives practical applications within various local churches and great emphasis on even the attitudes and the motives behind our ministry. In fact, for example, when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, we learn of a ministry within the local church. It was a ministry in that context of ministering to widows. There were widows who needed food. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul goes to great length to look at young Timothy, who's ministering at the church in Ephesus, and he said, here's what you need to know. Your heart needs to be right in this, and you need to make sure that they are widows indeed. Make sure that they are truly widows in need, and here's the criteria to examine. And once you've examined this, and once you've determined this is true, literally, he says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 9, then you should put them on the list. That's a ministry within that local church as they're ministering to the widows and providing food. 
And what we begin to see in 1 Timothy 5 is that Paul was, so, was far more concerned about the need within the body of Christ and far more concerned about the attitude and ministering to them and glorifying the Lord through that context than he was that that ministry be duplicated in other contexts of the local church. So what God is calling us to do today is to, as a body of Christ, to examine individually and then together as a body, how are we serving the Lord? And do we have the right attitude in our service to the Lord? And what is our motive in serving the Lord? In Romans chapter 12, I believe Paul unpacks for us greatly what serving the Lord should look like in our lives and in the greater context of the body of Christ. The question is simple. In what ways are you, in what ways am I building up the body of Christ? And I'll try to illustrate it uh, practically in just a little bit. Four things I want you to see this morning. If you're ready, would you say, I am? Man, a lot of you are. That's awesome. Very good. Four things this morning. Number one from Romans chapter 12, I want you to see the prompting of ministry. The prompting of ministry. If you've been here at Crossing for a period of time, you know that Romans chapter 12 is not new to us. In fact, I've got good news for you this morning. Two years ago, we looked at the beginning of the year at Romans chapter 12, and it took us eight weeks to get through eight verses. I've got good news for you today. It's not going to take eight weeks, okay? Not even eight hours. But listen closely. The prompting of ministry. What does God say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1? What God is doing is God is calling every single believer in this pastor scripture and in this context of the church in Rome. He's calling them to examine what they're doing with their life. He's calling them to examine how they're spending their time, how they're, they're literally using their efforts and their energies and their body. By the way, I believe what God is calling us to do today is the same exact thing. The fact of the matter is many of us, many of the times in our life, we live our life distracted by all the different pursuits of the world. We have all this technology and all these conveniences at our disposal, which can be a wonderful thing, but it can also cause us in many ways to be distracted and waste our lives. With all the different luxuries that we have, it can be very easy for us to spend our time and our effort and energy on things that really don't matter in eternity. And so what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is this, I want you to examine and I want you to identify how are you giving your body, how are you spending your time literally in your life? So he tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and as a holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The prompting of ministry, first and foremost, starts with something very important. It starts with a personal call, a personal invitation, a personal urging to surrender ourselves to the Lord. We hear this prompting of ministry, and unfortunately, when we think of the word ministry, we often think of a church. We'll see a church and we'll say, oh, there's a ministry over there. Oh, that's, that's a healthy ministry or that's a struggling ministry. We'll describe the church. Sometimes we think of the word ministry, we think of the pastor. Oh, well, the pastor was called to ministry. He serves in the church. But the word ministry in the Greek literally is where we get our English word to serve. In other words, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the church as a whole or whether we're talking about the pastor. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you realize it or not, God has called you to the ministry. Now, God calls some to vocational ministry. God calls some to, to pastor or to teach and that, that type of context. But the fact is, every child of God has been called to the ministry. We've been called to serve the Lord. But notice where this call begins in verse 1. It begins by presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. 
In other words, the prompting of ministry does not begin first with a task, but instead first to a place of complete devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we hear that word sacrifice in our day, and we don't have quite the mindset that the people in Romans would have had. We hear the word sacrifice, and we think of sacrifice. I might ask you, have you had to sacrifice something this week? You might probably think of maybe a benefit or a right or a privilege that you had to lay aside for someone else. I might ask a husband, well, did you sacrifice for your wife this week? And he might say, I washed the dishes three times. And I'd say, that's not no sacrifice, you punk. Well, that's you being a husband, right? You're doing what you're supposed to do, right? Um, I could ask, if, you, if you've sacrificed something this week, and most of the time in our culture, we hear sacrifice, we think of, we laid aside our right or our privilege or our position for the benefit of another, and that would be our definition of a sacrifice. That can be sacrificial for sure, but in Romans, when Paul said, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, please understand, the word sacrifice in that culture had a much more graphic image. It had a much deeper understanding than, well, yes, I'll wash the dishes, okay, just by sake of illustration. By the way, men, it's okay to wash dishes, keep doing it, all right? But what I'm saying to you is this. In that culture, when they thought of a sacrifice, frankly, they thought of a very graphic and gruesome image. In that culture, when they had the temple in Jewish culture and people were bringing sacrifices as an atonement for their sin, literally what they envisioned were the sacrifices where people would take these spotless, innocent lambs or they would take these turtle doves and they would literally bring them to the priest where they literally would be slaughtered and they would be offered on the altar as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering before God. The Bible describes Jesus on the cross literally as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. It literally was a very graphic image of, of nothing less than death. Paul's saying, listen, I am urging you, Christians, by the mercies of God, because you've already experienced God's grace, you've experienced God's forgiveness, you've experienced God's salvation, I'm urging you by the mercies of God, literally with your bodies, to surrender them as a living and holy sacrifice to God. How would we do that? How do we surrender ourselves? Literally, kind of the idea here is, is of death. What, what does that look like? What does that mean? I think Paul understood it clearly as he said of his own life in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said these words. He said, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know what Paul's saying in that moment? Paul's saying, yes, the old me, yes, I'm dead, I'm dead. The old me is gone. It's not about me anymore. I'm not living according to my pleasures. I'm not living my life how I used to. I'm not living my life even how I want to. I'm living my life now by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says he's a living sacrifice. He's living because he still has life and breath and energy and ability and, and, and a clear mind. He, he has life. But at the same time, he's dead because the old him is gone. We're called to be a living sacrifice. With the efforts that God has given us, with the, with the abilities that God has given us, with the breath that God gives us, with the skills that God gives us, literally, we're not living for ourselves anymore. We're living for the Lord is what he's calling us to do. Surrender to him. We're also to be a holy sacrifice. Set apart, sanctified, identified as God's child. Whether you realize it or not, before Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you live your life for yourself. 
Before I knew Christ as my Lord and Savior, I lived however I pleased. My, my mind and my thoughts were consumed with, frankly, with my lusts and my own desires. Before Jesus Christ was the Lord of my life, my words, my mouth, my language was controlled by the things that I wanted to say and the hatred that I wanted to spew. Before Jesus was my Lord and Savior, I did with my hands things that were not appropriate and pleasing to God. Before Christ was my Lord and Savior, I allowed my feet ultimately to take me to places that I knew I shouldn't be. But now that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, Now that I've been forgiven by God's grace and I've been set free from the power of sin in my life, now that that's true, he's saying, listen, I called you to be a holy sacrifice set apart to God. Please understand, God's gonna bring us to a call of service in a moment, but that call of service starts with a call first and foremost of surrender. That you present your body to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to be used for your purposes or even your pleasures, but ultimately for the glory of God. When the Bible says present, it literally means present once and for all. Resolve it. Let it be settled. Literally, the idea is surrender, laying yourself on the altar and saying, Lord, my life is all yours. The only way I know to illustrate that is the practical illustration of a wedding ceremony. June 21st, 2003, I was at the altar of a church in Montgomery, Alabama. My fiance at the time stood literally across from me. We looked into each other's eyes and I looked at her and I said, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish, forsaking all others for you alone, I do. And she looked at me and said, if I have to. (laughs) Not really. But you know what was happening in that moment? In that moment, we were looking at each other and we were saying, forsaking all others, I'm literally presenting myself to you for once and for all, for better or for worse. It doesn't matter what's come. We're here together. What God is calling us to do in this illustration is, he said, listen, Christian, because you've been saved, because you've been set free, here's what I'm calling you to do. Surrender your body completely to the Lord once and for all. I think we need the daily reminder, the daily application The fact of the matter should be a once and all presentation. So why should we do that? Paul gives us two simple motivations. I'm going to say them quickly and move on. But the first motivation is simply the mercy of God. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. The idea of mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Let me ask you a question. What do you deserve from God? You don't have to answer it out loud. The the world will say, "You, you deserve the best. You deserve to be happy after all. You deserve whatever your heart wants. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, A sad but very sobering statement about all humanity, including me, including you, every single one of us. Romans 3.10, the Bible says, there is none righteous, not even, how many? One. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Romans 3.23, it summarizes it this way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, it doesn't matter your skin color, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your grandparents' faith, every single one of us are guilty as charged. We have all sinned against God and fallen short of his glory. 
Just one sin. And I would imagine that most of us have committed more than one sin just this morning or throughout this week. Just one sin made us a sinner and guilty before God. Romans 6.23 tells us what we truly deserved. It says it this way, for the wages of sin is, say it with me, death. What we deserve is death. What we deserve is separation from God because we have sinned, because we've fallen short. What we deserve is the absolute judgment of God. And yet God in his grace and God in his mercy, not giving us what we deserve, he offered us something else. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We didn't earn life. We don't deserve it. It's not based upon what we feel. It's not based upon what we do. It's not based upon what we bring. It's not based upon our effort. It's not based upon our self-righteousness. It's not based upon our rules. It's the free gift of God that God offers to all who believe. It's his mercy. Paul looks and says, listen, because God has been so merciful, it's only right and appropriate that we would surrender our all, our very lives to the Lord. But the second motivation is the worship of God. Remember I said a moment ago that the word worship comes from two old Latin words, literally that mean worship. It's describing, in essence, our response to God is showing his worth in our life. What does Paul say in verse 1? By the way, this surrendering of your bodies is a living and holy sacrifice. It's acceptable to God, which means it's pleasing, it's good, and it is your spiritual service of worship. Somebody say, oh, well, Pastor, I love going to Crossing because I love to worship. Can I tell you this morning, I am so thankful for Pastor Scott. I'm thankful for Kyle and for Andrew and many others who use their gifts, all of our instrumentalists, all of our singers, Miss Angela and others. Man, what a joy it is to be here to worship the Lord. But if worshiping the Lord is only what you do on Sunday morning, then I suggest what you're really doing is not worship at all. Because our worship of the Lord is really about our heart's response to him. It's about our lives being surrendered to him. It's not about 30 minutes on Sunday morning. That's an expression of it. That's a way that we demonstrate it. But our worship, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is our lives completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer said it this way, no man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. So I wonder, is what we're offering to the Lord acceptable to God? I'm reminded of the illustration many years ago of a little boy who was in a worship service just like this today at Crosslink. He came into the worship service, he sat with his mother and he listened to the pastor preaching and like a little boy will do, he didn't hear everything, but what he did hear was the pastor preaching about the importance and the blessing of how God had poured out his grace and all that God had given to us. And he heard the pastor preaching of John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And the little boy heard that message about all that God had given to him. And the pastor challenged the people. He said, listen, if God will give his own son for you, what are you willing to give to him in return? What would God have you to give in return for all that God has given to you in Jesus Christ? The little boy began to think through that and he listened to the message and he pondered that question, what could I give to the Lord? Not a whole lot of resources, not a lot that he could do. And the service ended that day and as was their custom in that country church, at the end of the service, they began to pass the offering plate to 
give of their resources, give of their tithes and their offerings to bless the work of the Lord. And the offering plate made the way, and the little boy was pondering and thinking, I don't, I don't have anything to put in the offering plate. I don't, I don't have an allowance, and I don't have a job. There's nothing I can give. And the offering plate made its way past him, and he let it on by, but he began to tear up. They couldn't think of anything to give to the Lord. Finally, as the offering plate began to make its way towards the back, he thought of something, and he quickly ran to the back, and he asked the usher, he tugged at his jacket, Mr., will you put the offering plate on the floor? And he said, no, son, don't, don't bother me. He said, Mr., please, will you put that offering plate on the floor? And finally, after begging, the, the usher put the offering plate on the floor, and that little boy with the wisdom and with the gentleness that only a child can bring, when that offering plate hit the floor, he picked up those little feet, and he literally stood on top of the money, and he stood in the offering plate, and he cried out loud, he said, God, I don't have any money to give but I'll give you what I do have. I give you me. You know what that little boy understood that so many of us miss is that what God truly wants from us is our lives surrendered to him. Many of us are content to throw a little change in the offering plate, give God a little time here and there when what God really is worthy of is nothing less than our lives fully surrendered to him. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. Yes, God's called us to a place of service. That begins really with this prompting of ministry, this surrendering of our bodies to the Lord. But secondly, it is furthered by what we see as the priority of the mind. It's important that you surrender your body, yes, but it's also important that your mind be right with God. God is not calling us to merely go through the motions He's calling us to make sure that our mind is first and foremost fixed on him. Please understand this morning the importance of being surrendered to the Lord in order ultimately that we can bring glory to him through service, but also the importance of our mind being right in that. If we are surrendered to the Lord, serving will naturally follow. But if, if we are serving the Lord without surrender, it will simply become volunteering and eventually our so-called service will come to an end. If we're serving just because we see a need, the time's going to come that we no longer value the need greater than our own comforts. If we're merely serving because we see the burden, the time will come, for example, we see the burden. We've got kids in the children's ministry, so we're going to serve here. But the time will come when the kids are grown and gone and no longer you're going to feel the burden and you're no longer going to serve. There's got to be surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ first, and out of that, there comes service. So we've got to make sure our minds are right as we serve the Lord. The Bible says in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus clearly shows us the importance of the mind when he's asked in Matthew chapter 22, Hey, teacher, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? I'm trying to trick him, right? What does Jesus say? Here's what it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Your heart, your mind, your innermost being, the core of who you are. You're not just going through the motions. You're not just paying lip service to the Ten Commandments as they're trying to trick him to do. He's saying, no, no, no. You got to love the Lord with all of your being, your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. Because if our hearts and minds aren't in our service, then we will likely just be going through vain, empty motions. So what does he say about this getting our mind right? How do we understand this priority of renewing our mind? I think there's two things that we see from this. First, we see the reminder, a kind of a negative instruction, if you will, and that is God is saying, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let your mind 
give in to the thinkings, the philosophies, the ideals, the messaging, even of the world around you. The world around us has a Burger King mentality. Have it your Man, let me say this. I'm trying to eat healthier, right? But when I go to Burger King, I want to have it my way. It's just how it is. And and maybe this is terrible of me. I I not only expect it, I kind of demand it. If I I get my burger the wrong way, I'm going back to the drive-thru and getting it again, okay? Like, I I kind of expect it. That's the messaging of the world. Have it your way. Sadly, we allow that to infiltrate our thinking and even affect the way that we live at times and function in the body of Christ. So, for example, we begin to give in to the philosophies of the world. When the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, it's describing literally an outward pressure that's placed on us. It's giving in to the... So, in the way of serving, for example, the world would say, you don't have to serve others. Serve yourself. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels good to you. If it feels good to you, it must be right. Put yourself first. Put your own sacrificing, uh, put your own benefits ahead of others. Don't worry about others. Don't think about their needs. They should be sacrificing for you. It's all about you. That's what the world will say. Isn't it interesting that the messaging of the world is very much like the very lies and temptations that Satan brought to Eve and to David, and to countless others through Scripture. Oh, oh, Eve, God said you couldn't eat of that. He just doesn't want you to be as wise as him. Eve, go ahead. You see that it's good for food. It'll be delicious. You enjoy it. Don't worry about what God says. Go ahead. Nobody else is with you. Just take of it. Have it your way, Eve. No one will ever know, and you'll get to enjoy it. It's going to be awesome. Oh, David, David, go ahead, man. Yeah, she's beautiful. She had, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Go, go ahead. David, God wants you to be happy. So if that's what you want to be happy, go pursue her. No one will ever know the difference. It's all about you, David. Have it your way. Oh, Eve had her way. David had his way. Fortunately, God is gracious and he's merciful. And in the midst of great death and devastation and destruction, he worked miracles of grace, but the simple reality is is that in giving into those lies and those messages, the fact is is that it brought all sorts of chaos, didn't it? Don't be conformed to this world. In the way that we serve, don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Literally, the scripture in the context here in the Greek means to be being transformed. It's an ongoing process of our mind being transformed according to the purposes and the plans that God has for us. The word for transform here in the Greek literally is where we get our English word metamorphosis. We understand the the process of of an ugly little wooly, uh, you know, fuzzy caterpillar getting up in that cocoon. And then in a period of time, this process undergoes that finally that cocoon busts open and out comes what? This beautiful butterfly. It's incredible, the transformation and the change that takes place. God is saying, listen, literally, here's what takes place. If you allow your, your mind to be transformed, to be renewed daily, this continually being transformed, the changes that God brings about in and through our lives are incredible. <laughs> when we were in Christiansburg serving the Lord there, there was a lady in our church 
who faithfully served the Lord. And she, she, she grew so much in the Lord that by the time we left there, rarely did a month or two go by that there wasn't another lady in the church that came to me and asked, when is so-and-so going to be leading our Bible class? When is so-and-so going to be teaching all the ladies of the church? When is so-and-so going to speak at the, ladies, the next ladies' function? I mean, they, they all wanted to know when this sister's going to be teaching because there was such wisdom and such maturity and such amazing depth that was coming from her life. It was incredible. What was amazing to me is that as those people were asking about this very lady that they saw Christ so evidently in, almost, almost none of them knew her past. Almost none of them knew the, the, the darkness of sin and the place that she had come from. None of them knew the history and the struggles and all the different things. What they saw was the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ shining through her life. You said, Pastor, what made the difference? Here's what made the difference. She was an individual who was constantly being transformed by the renewing of her mind. How are you transformed by the renewing of your mind? Only one way. It is by constantly submitting your mind to the authority and the truth of God's word. Your mind is not transformed by thinking good thoughts. You might get some good positive thoughts along the way that might encourage you. No doubt by as soon as those thoughts come, the enemy's gonna try to rob those. You might scroll through Facebook and say, well, you know what, that, that's a good encouraging message for the day. It'll be gone by lunchtime. The only way our minds are transformed are by feasting our mind on the word of God. As God is my witness, that dear sister who still today is shining bright for Jesus, the reason why God had done such an amazing transformation in her life is because she faithfully studied God's word. And I would even dare say, she, she, challenged, she, she studied God's word so intently that it challenged me to constantly be in God's word myself as her pastor. So Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that God is calling us to submit our mind to him. The way that we learn about the Lord, the way we grow in our relationship with him, the way that we discover his will for our lives, the way that we confirm what he's calling us to do, the way that we persevere when we feel like giving up, the way we press on in our service when people hurt us and come against us, the way that we keep our life pure before God, all of it is according to the word of God. So let's make sure we heed the priority to be renewed, uh, constantly transformed by the renewing of our mind. Third thing I want you to see, is the participation of the members. So far, everything we've seen in Romans chapter 12 is kind of dealing with a, an individual thing in the sense that God is calling each of us as believers to respond. God is calling each of us as believers to surrender our life as a sacrifice to God. God is calling each of us as believers to, to, to fill our heart with God's word so that we are transformed and changed by the renewing of our mind. It's an individual thing for this simple reality. I can't make you surrender and you can't make me surrender. Now I can encourage you. I can say, brother or sister, please surrender your life completely to the Lord. Please use your gifts for the Lord. Please do this. But here's the reality. Only you can decide that. I can encourage you and preach time blue in the face. Please make it your top priority. Be in God's word. Let God's word be in your heart. Memorize his word. Meditate on it. Think on it day and night. But the fact of the matter is I can't make you and you can't make me. That's an individual choice. But what we see as we begin to surrender to the Lord and get our mind transformed daily, being renewed by God's word is this. As we begin to surrender to the Lord and our minds begin to be transformed by the renewing of God's word, we quickly begin to realize that our lives are no longer about ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about 
my wants. It's not about my desires. It's not about my thoughts. It's really about God's glory and the good of others. In Romans chapter 12, literally, Paul gives us this idea of dedicated service to God by surrendering to the Lord, submitting our mind to his word. But then right on the heels of that, Paul then looks and says, now I want you to remember something, Christian, and that is this. You aren't isolated. You aren't living your life in a vacuum. You're not called to live your life for yourself, but for the glory of God and for the good of others. So in verse 3, he begins to point them to the body of Christ. And he begins to talk about not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And then in verses 4 through 6, he brings us to this wonderful picture of partnership. Remember, Ephesians 5.25, if Christ loved the church, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. I think it stands to reason this morning that if Jesus is the Lord of our life, then it will be evident in the way that we too love the church and give ourselves up for her. There's a picture here, a partnership. Notice the statement in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Paul goes on in the following verses to unpack and describe seven different spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are what God gives us at the very moment of salvation. Through the Holy Spirit within us, he imparts to us gifts that are meant for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, he lists seven gifts. We describe them today as what they call the motivational gifts. There are others listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 and a few other texts in the New Testament. They all describe different spiritual gifts. But please, what I want us to understand for this point is this. God gives us gifts that are meant to be used for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. You may not know what your gift is. You may think that you don't have a gift, but if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been entrusted with spiritual gifts from God that are given for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Now with that, Paul says three things that we need to take note of. Some of you noticed when I walked in today, I brought a box. I am not promoting Adidas this morning, okay? I have an illustration I'm going to use here in just a moment to hopefully, in a lighthearted way, help us to understand the importance of what Paul is saying in this partnership of ministry. Three things I want you to see about this partnership. First and foremost, I want you to notice our differences. Our differences. The scripture says in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. There's differences in the body of Christ. All kinds of differences. We have differences of personalities. Would you agree? If you do, would you say amen? amen. Some of you, it's the first time you ever said amen. Feels good, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> we have differences of personalities. We have differences of looks and backgrounds, skin tones. We have differences, and maybe even at times in our, in our family backgrounds and our cultures and where we grew up, we've got all kinds of differences, likes and dislikes. We have different sports teams because most of y'all are completely not right, but you'll get there eventually, okay? kidding. We, we got all kinds of differences. We even have differences of spiritual gifts. But Paul lists them here and many of them as, as exhortation and, and teaching, the gifts of service. He mentions here the uh, gift of prophecy. There's several gifts that he lists here. We go on in 1 Corinthians and we'll learn others about administrations and various things. The fact of the matter is there's a difference of these gifts. And the fact of the matter is, is that we need this difference. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 says it this way. Look at the words on the screen. It says this way. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. And we understand the difference. We can quickly look at our body parts and see that they're different. My fingers don't look like my eyes, thank God. Right? My, my, my ears don't look like my nose. You can literally see the differences. And, and literally, God uses, in 1 Corinthians 12, this, this little spiritual gift called sarcasm to illustrate the point. He, he says, can you, ima- can you imagine your feet going on strike and protesting and saying, man, I sure wish I was a hand. I wish that I could pick up things and grab things, and and I wish that I could be held by someone else's hand with affection. I wish that I could have jewelry like rings. Oh, I wish, but instead i got to stay down here in these sweaty old socks and shoes all day long. I just stink all the time. That's ridiculous. Literally, God says in 1 Corinthians 12 through the Apostle Paul, can you imagine if your ears said, oh, I wish I was an eye? I sure wish I was an eye. Instead, everybody covers me up with hair. People poke holes in me and put metal on me just to try to decorate me and make me look good. I sure wish I was an eye that could gaze into someone else's eyes and see the beauty and all these different things. It's ridiculous. But Paul's point is, there's simply diversity. Just because my ears don't have the same function as my eyes don't mean, they're imp- don't mean that it's unimportant. They're important. They have their own unique gifting and their own unique purpose and their own unique thing they bring to my body. I don't like the look of my ugly toes. But I'm thankful for them and I'm thankful for my feet because they give me a foundation. They give me stability. They have a different purpose in my hands. But here's Paul's point. The Paul's point is simply this. Yes, there is a difference in our bodies, but please understand there is a dependence in our bodies. There's the differences, different parts that we see, but there's also dependence. We need them. Now, I know this flies in the face of our culture. Our culture says, you can do it all by yourself. Our culture says, pull up your bootstraps. You can be independent. You are self-sufficient. You can do it all. After all, you got this. But God says, no, actually, you don't got this. In the body of Christ, you need each other, which means you must depend upon others, but hello, they are also depending upon you. In what ways are you edifying the body of Christ? Now, to help illustrate this, I'd like to bring to the stage my faithful assistant, Mr. Potato Head. This is lighthearted. Please don't think I've lost my mind. My wife thinks I have, but anyway. We know what Mr. Potato Head is supposed to look like. We know that all these different functions, are supposed, we know in theory, if you got some arms, you're supposed to use them. If you got hands, you're supposed to use them. There's a nose to smell, there's a lip to talk. But here's what often happens in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, instead of valuing sometimes and appreciating and recognizing the purpose of each gift and contributing those gifts for the glory of God, instead we tend at times to to war against our differences instead of welcoming them. Not only tend to war against our differences at times, at times we tend to wish that we had different gifts. 
We, we do. Well, 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 you know, I, I know, God, you've called me and equipped me to be a teacher. I know that's your purpose for my life, and, and I enjoy it. But, man, I, I'm teaching so much, and it just takes so much time to study and prepare. And I feel like all I'm doing is studying and preparing and teaching. It's so exhausting. God, I just wish that I could sit back for a little while and just watch and see what else is going on. I don't want to be a teacher anymore. I want to be a watcher. God, I, I know that you, you've given me hands to serve you and you've given me opportunities and you've given me gifts and, and all these different things. And Lord, I want to serve you. But you know, just for a while, God, I just want to, I want to sit back and I want to chill and, and just kind of literally sit on my hands. I think I broke his backside. <laughs> Seriously, I broke his backside. <laughs> hey. Problem is, is that when you do this, when you sit back and watch, you, you still got hands, but the problem is they're not accomplishing their purpose. He can't reach a whole lot from the front. <laughs> That's another story. God, I know you've called me to be sensitive to your leading. God, I know you've called me and gifted me to be able to, to hear from you and to understand your word and to understand what it is that you're calling us as a church to do. But God, I'm kind of tired of being in this role. God, I'd really rather be in a role where, where I do something else. God, I'd rather just be your hands over here. I'd rather be your hands. Oh, but, but God, I know I'm called to be your feet, and I know that you've given me opportunities to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I know you've given me opportunities to, to go to Ukraine and go to Nicaragua and other things, but God, I'm really tired of being these, these feet down here that nobody sees and nobody gives attention to. So God, I'd rather be up here. We look at the dysfunction of it all and we think, God, we're good and here we are as a church. Stay put, stay put. The point is, is that it's dysfunctional. It doesn't work. It's broken. But God, why aren't you using me? God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why aren't you doing this for me? Could it be the thing that we're missing in that whole situation is that we're trying to play God and tell him what we want instead of surrendering to what he's called and what he wants? So often in the church, and I think the reason why so many are in that place is because we've put ourselves as the head. And we've lost the place of remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And we are simply blessed to be members of it with a role and a part to play for his glory and for the good of his body. So instead of fussing about what we do or don't have, instead of fussing about what we want to do or what God has called us and equipped us and gifted us to do, we need to find our part in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and be faithful and to be diligent in what he has called us to do so that we won't be a broken Mr. Potato Head. Here's a Tim Smith mustache, but that didn't fit in there. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm being lighthearted, of course, but I'm saying we need each other. 
and we each need to fulfill our part in our calling. So the third thing we see about this is we see our devotion. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? He says, basically, whatever those gifts are that God has given you, exercise them. Quit wasting them. Don't reject God's plan for your life. Don't believe the lie that you're not good enough. Don't give in to the feeling that someone else is better qualified. Don't believe the lie that what you offer is unimportant. No, by God's grace, identify your gift, thank him for it, and use it for his glory to build up his church. Final thing, and we'll be done. I'm gonna ask Kyle to go ahead and come on out and begin playing. The final thing I want you to see are the practices of ministry. Verses 9 through 13. I don't have time to dig into this very deep. Uh, You'll talk about this in community groups as you meet, Lord willing, this week. But the practices of ministry. Notice what Paul does next. Have you noticed that every time we have seen this call to commitment, we see it modeled and demonstrated through love. Christ is committed to the church, and what did he do? He loved the church and gave himself up for her. The pastors are called to serve as a shepherd, and the picture there is one of love and sacrificial service for the glory of God and good of the church. The members of the church, guess what? We're called literally to to this labor of love where we love one another and we minister out of love for God to put one another's needs above our own. Literally last week, the mission of the church, the apostle Paul said, for it's the love of Christ that controls us and calls us to go into the ends of the earth. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says five things about our service. I'm going to say them quickly. You'll unpack them this week. Number one, we must serve in love. By the way, for let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Love is the circulatory system of the spiritual body, which enables all the members to function in a healthy, harmonious way. Secondly, we must serve in humility. What does he say in verse 10? Giving preference to one another. Not about me, not about mine, but it's about others. How can I serve? How can I bless them? How can I show them honor? Philippians 2 says it this way. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We must serve in humility. Third, we must serve with diligence. Literally, the word that's used for diligence here in this pastor scripture, where the Bible says, not lagging behind the diligence, fervent in spirit. Literally, the word that was used meant hardworking. Not giving God your leftovers, giving God your best. Not giving because you have to, giving because you want to. Not giving what's easy, but literally going the extra mile, serving the Lord with diligence. Fourth, we must serve with perseverance, not giving up. Why? Listen to this statement. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. We must serve with perseverance, not losing hope, not losing heart. Why? Because we know who it is that we're serving. You know what? When you serve the Lord, I guarantee you there's going to be some time along the way that it doesn't turn out the way you thought it should. When you serve the Lord, someone's going to question your motives. 
When, when you serve the Lord, you're, at times going to be attacked or maybe falsely accused. They're going to question everything about you. But here's the reality. When you serve the Lord, serve with perseverance, knowing that it's the Lord that you serve. Colossians 3 says it this way. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward and the inheritance. Why? For it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And finally, in our serving, we must serve with generosity. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. It's the picture here of what we give as we serve the Lord, that we do so generously. Galatians 6.10, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He said, Pastor, what are you saying this morning? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has called us to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and in service to Him. The context of all of this this morning began in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're to do this because of the mercies of God. That suggests to us this morning that there's probably two types of people here this morning. There are those who still need to experience the mercy of God. And there are those who, because they already have, need to surrender their lives completely to it. So the first question I want to ask you as we close this morning is simple. Have you experienced the mercies of God? We've already seen in the Bible that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need God's grace and His forgiveness in our life. We all need God's gift of salvation, and the only way we receive that is by faith in Him. So this morning, if you need to experience the mercies of God, there's an opportunity right here in just a moment to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Know that your sins have been forgiven. Know that heaven is your home. Know that you're right with God. You can experience his mercy today. But secondly, if you're here today and you know you've already experienced God's mercy in your life, you know that you've been saved, I call you and challenge you this morning. Would today be a day where you surrender your life completely to the Lord? Would you surrender your life completely to the Lord to the extent God didn't give you the gifts abilities, the talents, even the experiences. He didn't give them to you for you to sit on a shelf and not use them. He entrusted them to you so that you might faithfully serve and use them for his glory and for the good of his church. And so I challenge you today to say yes to him. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.